Anxiously with Amy and Lisa. Now here are your hosts, Amy and Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Amy. And this is Anxiously, the podcast where we talk about all the things that make us feel anxious. Amy, how are you doing today? I am extremely anxious. <laughs> it is for a good reason. I got my first COVID vaccine. Mazel tov. Which is very exciting. God bless modern medicine, and I'm so grateful. But because I'm me, I'm also stressing out about side effects because I've read way too much about stuff and I am obsessively checking in with my body with every little twinge I feel. What is that? Is that the beginning of fever? Is that the beginning of an ache? And I realize that I do this all the time, not just when I (laughs) have gotten a (laughs) vaccine. I am constantly sort of checking in with my body to make sure that it feels quote unquote good. And whenever I feel anything a little bit off, I immediately start worrying that I'm going to die. <laughs> so, so that's like a fun way to live. Right. So you're you're like uber in touch with your body. Yes. And it's funny because we've talked about this before and like we are constantly sharing symptoms, but it's like I come at it sort of from the opposite direction. I'm not in touch at all, but then when something feels kind of off, I start spiraling. And it's like the time I went to the doctor because I had some leg pains and I had Googled myself into such a tizzy that I was sure I had Huntington's disease. And the doctor was just like, have you worked out lately? And I was just like, oh, my God, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's all it is. Just some aches and pains. Right. It was normal muscle pains. I was so out of touch with myself that it didn't even dawn on me. That's fascinating. Well, I have the same tendencies. I Google all the symptoms. (laughs) And I once went to CityMD because my palms were itching. Again, something like I noticed because I was checking in with myself. And when I described all my symptoms and what I thought it might be, I think it was like a physician's assistant said to me, are you a doctor? And I said, no, why? And they were like, oh, because you know all these medical terms. And I was like, oh, no, I'm just a massive hypochondriac and I live on WebMD. But but like, I'm so grateful that I can text you at all hours of the day and night and share these symptoms, even sometimes the gross ones, and know that you'll sometimes like talk me off the ledge and say that I'm being ridiculous and sometimes affirm me in a good way. <laughs> so I'm glad for that. Yeah, I'm very grateful for you too. And I feel like often it's the really gross stuff that I don't feel comfortable talking to anybody else about. Well, it's so interesting, like being women. There's a paradox there, I think, about women and their bodies beyond just sickness or worried about your body, what it's feeling. You know, women are taught to care about how their body looks, certainly, about Mm -hmm. being trim and toned and hairless. Hairless, (laughs) exactly, like perfect. But yet we're also trained not to talk about the gross stuff. To pretend the gross stuff doesn't even exist. It's like how taboo is talking about periods When we were kids, I mean, I remember in high school, the embarrassment around buying pads or tampons, it was horrible. And of course, I remember going into the drugstore to buy some feminine products and bumping into the cute boy from class and just (gasps) like wanting to die. Wait, that actually (laughs) happened to you? It did happen. I know. (laughs) 
It's like a story from YM. You know, remember the <laughs> embarrassing course. YM stories about, <laughs> oh, my crush saw me with my period. <laughs> but that was such a thing. Like, I, yeah, I remember those early days after having gotten my period of feeling like, oh, the boys will know somehow. And right. it really felt taboo. So many things for women felt like, I don't know, you just couldn't go there. Like pooping. <laughs> everybody poops. <laughs> There's a book for little kids about everybody needing to poop. But like, I don't know, you hear all those stories about girls who can't poop in their boyfriend's <laughs> apartment yes. because it's too embarrassing. I know so many women who have told me that, that they could not poop at a guy's house. <laughs> and it's like, then do you not want him to know that you're like human? You know, like, it, but it is. I think it's totally like culturally been conveyed that no, we're kind of not supposed to be human. Like we're supposed to be these like perfect ethereal beings like who, who magically are hairless. <laughs> I wonder if younger people are more liberated, I guess, than we are and feel less inclined to shave or... It is interesting. I do think this younger generation is more emboldened about that stuff. I mean, I was watching Broad City recently and Alana Glazer, like, doesn't shave her armpits. So, like, that's so cool. And it's funny because I feel like not that long ago, my knee-jerk reaction to that would have been, like, shock mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit of, like, judgment or, like, why isn't she shaving? And I think I'm at a place today where I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, like, good for, for her. her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yet, I myself, I automatically shave. Like, it's part of my routine. The thing that I find really interesting is that as taboo as all this stuff is, women do, I think, find it easier to talk amongst themselves about this stuff. Like we were saying, you and I talk about it mm -hmm. to each other. And I, with other women, I, I will share things like that. Whereas I don't know, again, not to generalize, but I don't know if men with their male friends or their female friends feel as comfortable sharing this stuff. It is cool that we have this way of sort of getting around the societal strictures by talking to each other and being open with each other. Yeah. And I feel like for men, it's like a lot of it is like a joke. There's a lot of comedy around it, but they're not going to talk about it necessarily in like an earnest way. Mm -hmm. But again, I could be wrong. And if male listeners are out there, <laughs> tell us if we are wrong. Yeah, let us know. But I also would wonder, maybe men just don't get as hung up on the same things that we find ourselves hung up on. Maybe they're just not as, like, worried or focused on that stuff. I don't know. But again, we generalize, so. <laughs> There's so much to unpack here, but luckily we have a fabulous guest who can talk to us about all things related to the body. Ariella Elevik is a fabulous illustrator based in New York City. She's the founder of The Cheeky Blog, which is a really fun online platform that helps readers fight against the shame that so many of us feel about our own bodies. She's the author of the graphic memoir, Cheeky, and her work's been featured in The New Yorker, Teen Vogue, Alma, and BuzzFeed. And now here's our conversation with Ariella. Ariella, thank you so much for being here on Anxiously. Thank you for having me. This is like made for me. So I love this quote from your book. At the end of the day, some of us are tall, some of us are round, some nipples are large, and most butts are hairy. We all fart, we all poop, once a month we bleed, and we are all beautiful for it. 
I love how comfortable you are in your writing and in your art about bodies and women's bodies and the bodily functions that we all have. But how did you get to that place? You talk about how you weren't always quite like that when you were growing up. So tell us a little bit about your journey. A lot of it has to do with my close group of friends that I met at camp who I call the Yentas, who are kind of this chorus of women in my book that kind of give like power to body positivity and feeling more at home in your body and owning the gross things. I've been through a lot of, you know, ebbs and flows of really taking that in and really making it my own. But I think all of this really first started when I met these women at camp, then like young girls. And I was just really at first kind of taken aback by how open they were. And slowly it made me feel comfortable sharing about my smells or my hairs. And then over time, reconnecting with them as an adult and kind of going through my embarrassments with them and kind of just feeling how nice it is to just exhale it all out and say it's okay and how fun it can be to, you know, say, well, I have this gross thing. And it becomes like the more you have to share, the more fun it is. And I think something that I didn't realize that would be so powerful in owning that mentality was the painting my body part of it. And so when I started my Instagram at the Cheeky Blog and the blog that mirrored it, I didn't quite realize that there was a book in it. I didn't quite realize how powerful it would be. And at first it was more almost a fake it till you make it type of feeling of... I'm going to talk about my nipple hair because I'm afraid to and I'm going to pretend that I'm cool with it and we'll see what happens. And I think slowly, like the more I painted my stretch marks, the more I painted my stomach, the more I painted my unibrow, I think it just made me detach from the embarrassment of it all and kind of adopt a more matter of fact feeling. Totally. And it's so empowering for other women to see that. That was kind of my goal is how can I be a yenta to people? How can I bring the Yenta conversation to people? And I felt like the best way to do it was to just lay all mine out there. And then, you know, people would comment and people would comment on the comments. And so I saw this nice community forming, which was really awesome to see. Why do you think so many women have such discomfort talking about their bodies and bodily functions and all the the gross stuff? In working on my book, a lot of the exercises I would go through is like, okay, where did I start learning this? Like, why am I so uncomfortable with stretch marks? Like, whoever told me that because my mom did a really fantastic job of not discussing any of that type of stuff. There was no diet talk in my house until I, of course, brought it up when I was in middle school or high school. But there was none of that coming from her. And, you know, I grew up with sisters and we never talked about our periods together. And I look back at that time and I'm like, we could have been like having period parties. And I don't know, it just could have been so much more celebrated I know like growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, it it was just like a time of smooth, small, like very skinny and very specific, I think, too. Like that was the only type of body that I was seeing and magazines really like pushing that image a lot and really pushing. These are the types of jeans you should wear if you have pear shape, apple shape, like anything. It just got so specific. And I also remember like being told what shape glasses to wear if I have a heart-shaped face or an old. So it just felt very prescriptive and very tight and very closed in. So I think for me, maybe it was a thing of, you know, if I'm not fitting in these boxes, something is wrong, so I'm not going to talk about it. I think that's what fascinates me most is is it it feels very off-limits, mysterious, hide your tampon up your sleeve kind of all the time feeling. I am wondering, because women 
tend to sublimate these quote-unquote grosser aspects of their body, are they at the same time also sublimating their personalities maybe and their desires? Does that go hand in hand? I think so, big time. At least that was a big realization that I kept having over and over again with my book. Each chapter was separated out body part by body part, and there were some areas where I thought, like, surely it's just about the body here. It's not about much else. But I started uncovering so many things, like with the legs chapter, for example. I remember like a big thing about my legs was I just hated the idea of being watched while I moved. I didn't want people to see things jiggle. I was on the tennis team in high school and I got I had a uniform I had to wear. It wasn't something I would have ever picked out for myself. It was like this skirt with an elastic waistband, but you know those elastic waistbands that aren't actually elastic. They're just like really constricting and they push in like the <laughs> yes. worst way. Right. So I had one of those with this white, like, kind of see-through shirt. And it was just, it was a terrible recipe for, like, feeling comfortable moving. And I would stuff my body into them for these tennis matches. And I just remember being in them was so restricting because I just didn't want the tummy rolls to come out a certain way or, like, the underboob fat to, like, get out from under the sports bra. So it really restricted how I moved. And I just remember, like, probably middle school through college, frankly, I just felt so stuck and, like, paralyzed and not wanting to move. And I think outside of even just physical, there's so much time we spend or I spent thinking about, like I filled journals with food diaries, like milestones for weight loss, and just the amount of time and energy put into thinking about our bodies in such a restrictive way is just like paralyzing sometimes. I mean, even now as as like an, an older person, like I still will put on dresses or outfits that aren't comfortable and I feel like I'm squeezed in awkwardly and and it's just not comfortable. I feel like the one good thing about this quarantine lifestyle is like <laughs> sweatpant life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loving it. Totally. Totally leggings every day. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. It was kind of a bittersweet moment. I would have, you know, I was dreaming about like what it would be like to have my book out to the world and being able to like meet with people in person about it. But I think there's something really silver lining nice about it, which is that what better time to really focus in on what makes you feel good and making sure that what you're doing is what you want and how you want to feel, how you want to look. Speaking of outfits that don't feel necessarily comfortable or made for real women to wear, the beauty industry is this massive billion-dollar machine. How can we stand up to it and fight against it? And do you yourself ever feel like you're succumbing to the pressures that are put upon us by society or the culture at large? I recently had this conversation with my mom and hopefully, I mean, hopefully she doesn't mind me talking about it, but she said, you know, I really want to lose X amount of pounds so that I can know that I can walk into a store and can always find my size. And my response, which has been another very interesting side effect of writing this book, is just kind of being a lot more intentional about how I have conversations with my friends, with my mom, and just turning my brain on a bit more to think about these things a little bit more critically this is a conversation everyone's having right now, I feel. Um, but just this idea of, well, why do you have to fit the clothing? The clothing should fit you kind of idea. And I think the most we can do, I think for me, at least, I found a lot of power in connecting with other people and hearing their stories and just becoming much more aware and rooted in the idea that these ideals or these things that we're striving to are pretty arbitrary. I mean, they matter in the culture that we're currently in, and we can't really escape that. And that's kind of the problem. And, you know, if we're the ones consuming it, it'll have to change. I don't know. It's such a big question. And I am I turned 30 a few weeks ago, and now I'm like, I have to get a retinol. I have to, you know, do all these skincare things. So I'm definitely part of it. 
I don't know that it's something that we necessarily will ever escape, but I think it's really great to be having these conversations because it's just calling attention to the simple fact that's sometimes really hard to ingest and live with authentically every day, but that these ideals are not things that we necessarily, they're not like capital T true. They're in our environment. We can be part of them when we want to, not be part of them when we don't. And I think it's not something we have to prescribe to, I guess. But on the flip side, like, is there ever something fun about just indulging in that stuff and saying like, yeah, I'm going to put on makeup and take it back almost in a way? I think that's a really great way to look at it as a way to play versus it's something that I have to do. That's how I'm treating skincare right now. So your illustrations on Instagram and on your blog are so great, and they get really playful with aspects of the body that, as we talked about, might be considered gross by some. And looking at you now, you know, it's clear that you're not as, for example, maybe as hairy as you depict yourself to be, not that there's anything wrong with being hairy. But in terms of that distinction, has that affected the feedback you've gotten? Has that feedback been positive or negative? Part of the like healing and fun for me has been kind of magnifying the quote-unquote unladylike features I have and making it a lot more cartoonish, a lot more not grotesque, but like gross, because I think that's been very helpful as a way to be like, I don't need to be any way you want me to be, you know, and I think it's been interesting. I haven't, I've definitely gotten comments of people saying, you don't actually look like this. And my mom will sometimes be like, I don't get why you draw yourself so ugly. Like, why are you doing that? When I started drawing myself maybe like three years ago, it was interesting. I like did meet it with this kind of self-conscious, like I don't want to make myself look fatter than I am or skinnier than I am because then people will think if I make myself skinnier, they'll think that I'm like trying to misrepresent myself in a certain way. And I was very fixated on representing it exactly as it was. And then I think as time went on, it became like my body was kind of its own character and kind of standing in to express the things I didn't feel like I could express or that women in general couldn't express and kind of being like, I'm a woman with a unibrow and a mustache, when in reality, it's like very light on Zoom, at least. But I think there was something very fun to kind of play it up and kind of be even more, to use the same word, like cheeky about it and in your face about it. And yeah, I mean, most of the feedback on Instagram has been really positive. The only time I'll get backlash is when I get what some people would see as political which is very interesting because I kind of thought that the group would be kind of self-selecting of like, if you're looking at an Instagram that has like period blood all over it, you're probably going to get some messaging about abortion rights and believing women. But that's really when the backlash will kind of come in. But we're living in a polarizing time. So I guess you can find that anywhere. Amy and I are hypochondriacs. Amy, I'm lumping you in with me here. I am 100%. I've definitely known to Google things at 2 a.m., so I really, I empathize with this. You are in the club. (laughs) Do you think you could be too in touch with your body? There's probably a way to be overdoing it where you're no longer listening to your body and creating scenarios of things that might not exist. But it's, I mean, especially now, it's just so hard to parse what's anxiety and what's a safety threat. So (laughs) (laughs) So true. You were talking before about that you had this group of friends, a camp who got you more comfortable with your body. 
And Lisa and I were talking about how, yeah, I think women, especially close friends, do feel comfortable talking about everything with their female friends. Whereas, like, I've asked my husband, actually, like, do you talk about this stuff with your guy friends? And he does not. Why do you think that is? Like, women sort of have created this little circle for themselves where they can talk about this stuff. I know, like, the boys in my class growing up, it was like burping was cool and who could burp the loudest and, like— the kid who always farted, it was funny. And I think with girls, because it feels like such this rebellious act. I know for me, that's why the book was so fun to make and the Instagram is so fun is because a lot of the times I'm like, how gross can I get? Like, can I shock people? Can I gross people out? And I think there's something really fun and rebellious and secretive and bonding that comes from like doing something you're not really supposed to do, but you're all so excited to do it and to share it. Obviously, I'd prefer it to be that we can be, girls can have farting competitions if they want in class. Like, I would much prefer for that. But I think that's probably why it feels so fun because it feels like a sleepover. It feels a little shocking. That's what makes it the most fun. Is there anything that actually grosses you out? Like really overly bitten nails grosses me out. And like, (laughs) I don't think I would be good at like cleaning up throw up. But outside of that, I'm not really. And again, like the group of friends I'm with, like there'll be a text like, do any of you have butt mucus? Like, it's stuff like that. It's just totally not. And I have a friend who's so, she's always the one to ask the most, like, in the deepest, darkest versions of myself, I would never admit she's admitting it. So that's kind of what helps me get out of that zone. We all have these bodies, and they're all different, but, like, the mechanisms are mostly the same. So, like, we kind of have all felt one or more of the same things. So yeah, it's funny. I feel like Lisa and I used to, when we would text each other about our various bodily woes, we'd be like, <laughs> TMI, but, and then it's yeah. like, no, no, there's <laughs> no. no TMI. Like there's no such thing with us, <laughs> which, you know, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So do you have any tips for our listeners and for us about ways we could feel less anxious about our bodies and all the things they are and do? I mean, journaling's been really helpful. I think, you know, not everyone is drawing, but even doodling out, this is what my stomach looks like, at least has helped me just because, it again, it's just a matter of fact. There's no judgment. This is it. It's okay. But I think more powerful than that for me, honestly, and, you know, we were talking about this, but just sharing. And I think I've noticed now, like, even on my work Zooms, people are more inclined to share than usual. And I think everyone's just kind of looking for an outlet. So I think once you start sharing, it'll be, it's pretty surprising how open people are with their bodies. That's kind of what I've noticed. And if you feel like comfortable enough or brave enough to model it and just offer up a story, I'm sure people will kind of come back with more. Well, hopefully this conversation will inspire people to be more open too. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great. I feel inspired to go doodle. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me. I don't know about you, Amy, but I'm feeling intrigued and ready to start letting my body talk to me more clearly and freely and to also talk about things myself more freely. How about you? Well, as you know, my body talks to me all the time too much. (laughs) So I like what Ariella said about listening to it, but not necessarily jumping to conclusions or turning it into anxiety, like just kind of letting it be. Do you think maybe you'll stay off Google and WebMD? Yes, I do think that is not helping anything. (laughs) 
when it comes to listening to my body. In fact, in that case, I'm not listening to my body. I'm listening to WebMD. So I like the idea of letting my body take the lead. I know what I know in that moment. And I shouldn't be Dr. Amy diagnosing myself. I got to work on that too. But always feel free to text me with your fears and pains. Anytime. (laughs) Yes, yes. What are you doing this week to feel a little bit less anxious? I received such a lovely gift from our producer, Josh Cross, who knows how interested I am in old bottles. And Josh was digging around in his backyard and found these two really amazing old bottles, and he gifted them to me, and I've added them to my collection, and they're on the shelf in my study, and they make me feel really happy. So thank you, Josh. That sounds beautiful. That's really nice. Where's my present, Josh? (laughs) This is not fair. If you saw what came out of the bottles when I washed (gasps) them out, I don't think you would have been feeling (laughs) jealous. (laughs) Were there bugs? There was like all kinds of stuff. It was a little grody. <laughs> all right. I- I'm okay then. No, no bottles needed. How about you? What are you doing this week to make yourself feel less anxious? Well, I have also been given a great gift from HBO Max <laughs> in the form of The Nanny. The amazing <laughs> sitcom from the 90s is now streaming on HBO Max. And I, I watched it in real time and loved it. I loved seeing a loud, curly-haired Jewish woman from Queens, just like me, be a star in a show. So it's been so fun. I've just been binging it. And it totally holds up. The acting is is just great. And, of course, Fran Drescher is just incredible. Maybe a dream one day is to have her on the show, right? Oh, that would be amazing. I love her. <laughs> No. So yes, watching The Nanny has been very therapeutic, and I highly recommend, even if you're not a Jewish girl from Queens. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that show. Well, are you feeling a little less anxious now? Yes, I am feeling better. How about you? Yes, I think so. It's always good to talk about this stuff. I feel like Ariella got it, and I know you get it. And I know you get it, too. And I hope everybody listening gets it as well. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Anxiously is brought to you by Tablet Studios. Our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredman Ader, and Robert Scaramuccia. Our music is by the best band in the world, Low Cut Connie. Please rate and review us on iTunes so more people can find us. It really helps. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at AnxiouslyPod. And if you have feedback or questions about the show, email us at anxiously at tabletmag.com. For more information about the show, head to tabletmag.com slash anxiously and check out all of Tablet's podcasts at tabletmag.com slash podcasts. See you later.